the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed. Hour number two is underway. Hour eight minutes past ten o'clock on this Tuesday, the twenty-third morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, twenty nineteen, and I cannot believe the day has finally come. Yes, Can indeed. You dig it? Peter Kersenow returns to the broadcast after a two-week absence. Pete, no more vacations for you, man. This is you're, you're giving us all heart palpitations here. Every Tuesday, people are calling, "Where's Pete? Where's Pete? Where's Pete?" You can't leave anymore. You understand that, right? Well, that's a great welcome, Bob. But you know, I need to leave more often. I haven't had that many vacations in the course of my career, and this was a great one. I enjoyed it. Came back relaxed, and uh, also see that uh, while I was gone, the Indians made a run. We're only three games out, and uh, only a couple days to the Browns training camp. Forty-six days to the first game, 54 to Monday Night Football. And, but what I really enjoy is whenever I have the radio on, it seems that when the topic comes to football, the primary topic of conversation is the Cleveland Browns. Really remarkable. What a turnaround. Yeah, it really is. It's crazy. I mean, here's the problem, though. They just had a tremendous offseason. <laughs> Great offseason. But you don't, get trophy, you don't get trophies for winning the offseason. It has to translate, right? It has to translate into victory. So we'll see what happens. Um, Pete, yeah, a lot of things happened while you were gone. In addition to the Indians closing the gap, um, and by the way, just about to trade Trevor Bauer so they can fall right back again. Uh, let's get into what is going on um, in the world that matters. Um, I've been waiting for your expert analysis on the allegations of racism against President Trump. Um, literally, since you went away, the president sent out a tweet storm against the four squids, uh, uh, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, Sharia Tlaib, Giada Omar, and Ayanna Presley telling them to go back where they came from and fix broken countries before you come here and try to tell us how to govern this one, which, of course, does not need fixing. It's doing just just fine. Um, that was deemed to be racist by, well, everyone, including members of his own party. 
Uh, then at his, uh, his uh, rally last week, his campaign rally in uh, North Carolina, uh, playing off of that, some of the crowd chanted, send her back, send her back, speaking of Ilhan Omar, or Jihad Omar from Somalia, which also was deemed to be racist, and so was Donald Trump, because he didn't stop them from doing it for 13 seconds. Um, Pete, the race card has become a full-on race deck. Every deck, every card in the deck is is a race card. Uh, everybody who says anything negative about a person of color who is a liberal is a racist. And I've been waiting for you to weigh in on this. So go ahead and take it. Well, um, as a person of color, a term which I can't stand. I think, uh, frankly, it's a uh, juvenile, and you know, you, heck, since everything else is racist, why not? Why not call that racist also? But you know. Um, I think that the whole matter of race calling people racist simply because you have a disagreement with that person is playing out before our very eyes. I mean, I think it's it's diminishing in terms of its important impact for such a long time. Democrats, liberals have been calling anybody with whom they disagree racist or sexist or homophobic or anything else. But the principal one was racist, and that was a term everyone strenuously sought to avoid because you can't shake that. You know, it used to be such a toxic, radioactive term when applied to somebody that you saw Republicans for decades scramble and try to apologize like crazy, and, you know, you, with all due respect to George W. Bush, George W. Bush would be out there doing everything he could to make sure that the folks in the media and the left would not call him a racist or say nice things about him. You know, Mitt Romney's another person like that. Never served anybody any good because it never shielded anyone from the accusation of racism. But I think it's dissipated so much. They're calling everybody and everything racist that I think the majority of Americans now are simply putting to bed this notion that simply because you take a different position on a matter, uh, simply because you love the country and are unabashed in that love of the country, simply because you fly the flag, um, that somehow you are a racist. This has gotten so corrupt and toxic and frankly juvenile that I think uh, Donald Trump is onto something here. One of the things about Donald Trump, love him, hate him, he doesn't stay in the lanes that the media and the left have habitually put Republicans and conservatives in. They would define, meaning the left, the terms of the debate, and Republicans for such a long time obediently stayed in those lanes to the detriment of not just the Republican Party or conservatives, but the country as a whole. Trump says, nope, sorry, I'm not playing by those rules. And he is a, a nice bull in the china shop there was absolutely nothing whatsoever racist about the terms that he used in applying them to omar and the other squad or squids or whatever they they want to call themselves we had a resolution that the civil rights commission last week issued uh condemning in the strongest terms trump's uh, use of the terms with respect to the gang of four and telling them to go back. And, you know, what they always avoid recognizing is, he didn't say, okay, the fact of the matter is that, yes, three of those individuals are originally from the United States of America. But, you know, as Selena Zito once said, the press takes Trump literally but not seriously, but most people take Trump seriously but not literally. We knew what he meant by that. We knew what, when he said, 
go back to where you came from. That is, they are constantly deriding the United States of America and making it seem as if third world nations or socialist nations are superior. And what he's saying is, especially with respect to Omar, is go back to where you came from. And then he said, then come back and show us how it's done. Now, that's a term a lot of people use, maybe not with respect to going back to another country. But like, if you're so smart, why don't you fix your own home first and then tell us how you do it? Or if you, you're so good at something, why don't you, you know, uh, you know, make a million dollars or become president or something like that and then show us how it's done. That's the kind of jocular terms that most of us use and understand, but the media sees upon it and they know what they're doing. They're constantly trying to do the bidding of the left. And of course, the left seizes upon it because that's all they've got. Otherwise, they've got to defend their lunatic propositions. But when the Civil Rights Commission last week voted to condemn it, I was the only person to vote no on that because I'm not staying in those lanes. I never, never did stay in those lanes. But I think Trump gives many of us greater support for refusing to stay in those lanes, to keep our heads down, not to protest, and not to vigorously push back against this calumny, this, these, these accusations, false accusations of racism, simply because you love your country, simply because you love the rule of law, simply because you want to preserve all that's good about this country, all of a sudden, you're a racist. No, we're not accepting that anymore, Bob. I think that uh, the era of Donald Trump, and it's not simply just Trump, I think it's just this overreaction. Now, overreaction is, a, frankly, a, a, uh, an understatement. The left has gone absolutely bonkers. They have gone nuts, and we're supposed to sit here and not notice when the left says that a Betsy Ross, Ross flag is somehow racist and a large company decides to take it down. This is, this is just sheer lunacy. We can't take this anymore. Peter Kersenow is our guest uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. The president and his supporters seem to be um, very invested in trying to disprove the allegations of racism. Um, is that something that we should be doing? I feel like we're jumping from one leg to the, to the other, dancing to their orders. Um, if they have us on the defensive long enough on something as, as abhorrent as, as being racist, and we're spending all of our time trying to prove that we're not racist, um, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite of the way it is in a court of law. In the court of public opinion, you can indeed be presumed guilty until you prove your innocence. If we're spending all of our time doing that, we're not spending our time doing what needs to be done. Um, do you think that the president and should his advisors and should his cabinet members, and yes, all of us, his supporters, ignore all of those calls of racism? Or do you think if we don't fight back against them, they will become accepted as fact in people's minds, and thus they will have that in their minds when they go to vote in 2020 for members of Congress and for the president? I say push back and push back hard. I like what the president and others are doing here. For so long, for most of my lifetime, conservatives have just laid back and taken a beating and not try to defend themselves. They, they would issue apologies as if they were, in fact, racist or any other kind of pejorative that the left would throw at us. I think you do it prudently. I think you, you pick and choose your fights and you're intelligent about it. But one of the things that I happen to agree with some commentators about this who say that Trump is defining the terms of the debate here. Uh, his going after the Omars of the world, I think, draw a stark contrast between where the left is right now and where most normal Americans are today. 
And I think it also defines the media because we see the media just blatantly lying or distorting what Trump is saying and other Republicans are saying or doing, that it's easy for the electorate to perceive precisely what's happening. The media and the left have, I think, so um, exposed themselves and their bias that now it's irrefutable. Most of us understood it for years and decades, but now it's just so plain. And what it's also done is it's shown how radical the left and the media, but I repeat myself, have become. Most Americans are not signing on to the agenda of most of the Democratic presidential nominees. It used to be that you would have a few fringe members of the party that might say crazy things and it would be buried right away. But now you've got presidential candidates who are sitting on a stage or standing on a stage in front of the entire United States of America saying things that are bat crap crazy. Uh, They are just nuts. They are indefensible. And you know it's indefensible when CNN, which tries to cover every time they can for Democrats, says they're no longer going to have questions where it requires somebody to raise a hand to say whether or not you support something, because they know that so defines the Democrats that they will be unelectable. I think that, to answer your question, Bob, again, I think you approach these allegations of racism prudently, but I'm on the side of hitting them back twice as hard as they hit you. I think it's time to do that because these allegations are false. They, they demean not just the individual against whom they're levied, but the entire United States of America. The rule of law is being subjugated here by, by Democrats who are in favor of everything except preserving the United States of America and American interests. They're in favor of every other country except the United States of America. They think the United States of America is awful, that it was racist in its founding. It has an original stain that can never be removed. We constantly must repent, and we must frankly make reparations for it. Most Americans aren't buying into that. I think most Americans, especially in the age of Trump, see with tremendous clarity that the United States of America is and always has been the greatest country in the history of the world. And what Democrats refuse to accept is that great is not necessarily synonymous with perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect country, but because we're not perfect, they claim we're not great. And one of the reasons they claim we're not great is so that they can continue to promulgate this agenda to fundamentally transform the country into something which it is not. A socialist country, a country that is divided on the basis of race and every other um, uh, uh, identity that you can fashion, that's not who we are. Uh, you know, when when Al Gore reversed E Purbus Unum in the meaning of it, he was actually prescient because, in fact, he was revealing that a large segment of the progressive movement is, in fact, right there. Instead of out of many, one, from one, many. That's the way progressives view things. That's very well said, Peter Kirsten. Now, Peter Kirsten, so good to have you back. People are tweeting me uh, right now and uh, nodding in agreement with you. Very, very well done. Stay where you are because I want more from you, Peter Kirsten. Now, we'll be right back with us after this on AM 1420 The Answer. Peter Kersenow, back with us again. Peter, of course, a Cleveland attorney and a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, you probably saw this. It's just to follow up on the racism push. This is the hard, the hard thing that we have. 
Uh, a Rasmussen survey uh, that was uh, published late last week, the results of which were published late last week, show that one in three Democrats, 33%, not 3% on the fringe, 33% of Democrats believe that if any white politician criticizes any politician of color, they are racist. Now, mind you, not criticizes them for their ethnicity, just criticizes them on policy, on ideology. It doesn't matter. If you disagree and publicly criticize AOC or Ilhan Omar or any of the rest of them, you are a racist, even if your criticism is 100% rooted in policy. When you have 33% of Democrats believing that, people are afraid to do what you said. They're afraid to push back and push back hard because all it does is make them, once again, if you're going to criticize those who are criticizing you, you are the racist. How do we handle that? Yeah, you know, I will tell you, I'm, I'm frankly a little surprised it's that low. I would have thought that the percentage would have been higher among Democrats, at least in terms of the manner in which we've seen them behave recently. You would think that any kind of criticism, any kind of disagreement with a person of color meant you were a racist. Any kind of a disagreement with a woman meant you were a sexist, and so on and so forth. And we've seen this coming for a while. Uh, you know, I think I've mentioned to you uh, probably in one of our private discussions that over the last number of decades, I've been involved in speeches and debates on college campuses, and I've seen a real change in the trajectory. Yeah, it was always in a leftist direction, but it's, it's become so strident now. It's become one of these things where I think, you know, you couldn't brook any kind of disagreement with the leftist orthodoxy. Otherwise, you would be branded racist, sexist, whatever it might be. It's, it's the only thing they've got because they don't want to engage. They don't want to debate ideas because their ideas are flatly nuts, and we're seeing it transparently now. But I do um, think that, yeah, I, as I said before, we need to be prudent on how we respond. But I have uh, absolutely no trepidation whatsoever in hitting back hard and continuing to engage Maybe not necessarily as uh, in the same fashion as President Trump is doing. Let's face it, Trump has got a gift. He does things in a way that uh, for almost anyone else to try doing them uh, could mean professional suicide. I, I'm still trying to figure out how he does it. He's got a gift for doing it. But I think that it's long past time that conservatives, American patriots, stop cowing, stop apologizing. We've got nothing to apologize for. We shouldn't be apologizing for embracing the rule of law, for equal treatment, not equal outcome, for being patriots, for recognizing the United States of America as the greatest force for good in the history of the world, other than, and I'm talking about temporal and secular force for good, obviously. But no more apologies. I, I think one of the reasons why Trump won was because many of us got sick and tired of those who are supposed to be carrying the standard for a conservatism buckling under the minute we get... Look, it's easy for, quote-unquote, a person of color like me to say these things. I've said this many times to many of your audience members when I'm giving speeches elsewhere. It is easier for 
someone who is not a white male, for example, to push back. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, look, they come after me and call me all kinds of names, maybe even more so uh, because I have wandered off the reservation. Or wandered off the plan- plantation. But they can't call you a racist, though. That's the thing. And you're right. To, to, to I'm so glad you recognize that. It's hard. I mean, I have, in my personal life, an online life, I am called a racist constantly. Why? Because I talk about the things we're talking about right now. Because I dare to criticize an AOC. Because I dare to quote the federal statistics on black-on-black crime. And, and, and the, the proof that you sometimes help provide me with statistics on the number of African Americans involved in uh, lethal force shootings by police officers compared to whites. And all of the different things. I point out this factual information, and because it may look make people of color look bad, it means I'm a racist. So it is very hard when we are just essentially all being branded with the racist label for white white males like me to continue the push you know sometimes we just have to try to bury this i don't maybe because i'm not that smart <laughs> and i go online and i tell the truth anyway but it is it's very hard to be called a racist when you have absolutely you know yeah. zero uh, you know zero uh, of that in you absolutely and the thing about it, bob is i think that you're doing an invaluable service it's imperative that people like you who've got the guts and the microphone to do it to continue to tell the truth the fact of the matter is, I think there has been a change in this country. It has been happening for some time, but it's become more precipitous with the advent of Donald Trump. More and more people are just getting sick of this term being thrown around. It has lost a great degree of its potency because it's been used so flagrantly and cavalierly. And I think it's important to continue to say things like, you know, the, 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 all the stats on black-on-black crime, for example. We are always looking at the wrong prescriptions to solving problems because we're so focused on race and frankly every other identity there is instead of solving the problem and in my capacity as a civil rights commission uh, as a civil rights commissioner i see this constantly the commission today for example is going to be releasing a school discipline report a massive report you don't have to read it read my dissent and you get everything you need. It is the most flawed document imaginable because it's all based on race and the failure of schools to have equal racial outcomes necessarily yep. means in their minds we that, have seen my this goodness. we have seen this happen in a number of high profile cases and what this has led to as well we don't have time to read your dissent but i will accept your summary of your dissent on the other side of the news Pete, as we continue on am 1420 the answer Ten thirty-eight. Now, as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, back with one more segment from Peter Kersenow, who abandoned us for two weeks of fun and frivolity, uh, a little vacation time for Pete, and I was back with a vengeance. All right, Peter, a number of other things uh, have gone on since you've been gone, and of course, uh, the border has, has gotten progressively worse. Since you left, uh, the president has instituted or tried to institute two policies which could alleviate some of the problems at the border, which lead to some of the crimes, of course, in our cities, a lot of them very, very violent. 
First, he has uh, tried to institute the policy of third country. If you leave one country to get to another country seeking asylum and you pass through a third country, you must seek asylum in that country first. You will not be allowed into this country if you come from Guatemala, for example, through Mexico. You seek asylum in the first place that isn't religiously or politically persecuting you. Then, the most recent one uh, today uh, is supposed to go into effect today, uh, the fast-track deportation and asylum hearings uh, uh, policy for anyone who has been in this country less than two years. Instead of making everybody go before a judge, they can just go before uh, border uh, patrol agents and others who have been deemed uh, worthy of hearing their asylum claims, and if they are found to be false on the spot, they can be turned around and fast-tracked out of the country, which would alleviate some of the overcrowding in the facilities that have been called by the left concentration camps and torture centers, uh, because more and more people would be deported as a result of that. The left has, as you can imagine, filed lawsuits to stop both. And so both uh, actions have been enjoined, and now we have to wait for it to work their way through the legal system. What is your analysis, Pete? Well, my analysis is that this is common sense. I think it's uncontroversial to all normal Americans, and it's not surprising that the left would file lawsuits to further erode and undermine the rule of law. The border crisis, to a large extent, if not exclusive extent, is a function of the left and, let's face it, a lot of Republicans refusing to address American sovereignty and the, the porousness of our borders. It's caused enormous problems. There are a couple of factions that benefit from this. There are certain businesses or businessmen who may benefit from cheap labor or the suppression of wages as a result of illegal immigrant workers. And also, from a political perspective, the Democratic Party, obviously. And I think one of the things, I think your, your uh, listeners probably know this intuitively, but it's not... Uh, I think, quantified the way it should be. We all know that one of the reasons why the left wants more illegal immigrants is for a political advantage, but it can be quantified. And it's starkly, I think, revealed in the whole dispute about the citizenship question on the census. There are a number of states that have far more political clout than they otherwise would because of the enormous presence of illegal immigrants within their jurisdiction. And it distorts their political power because we assign, for example, the number of representatives a state gets by what the population of that state is. States with an outsized illegal immigrant population, such as California, which we know has not been read for decades and will never be read in the foreseeable future, and other blue states that harbor a considerable cohort of illegal immigrants get more representatives. They get more power as a result. Right. They get to change the law as a result. Money they get too. to vote themselves more money. Exactly right. You know, And California is in the process of bankrupting itself. And I would hope that at some point we could do something to make sure that when the day comes that we don't have to bail out California when it finally implodes, because it will. It's unsustainable. But it goes beyond that also. There's a second component to it, and it's the Electoral College. Because Electoral College... Um, uh, votes are also assigned on the same basis. So it, it, at some point, and this is what the Democrats are clearly doing, it's their strategy, and it's, frankly, they're, I don't think they're even trying to hide it anymore, is to get a cumulative number of, of electoral votes. They were stunned when they lost the election in 2016, and they vowed never again 
And so, although Trump has a structural advantage in terms of electoral college, you know, he could possibly lose the popular vote again. They want to make sure that never happens again, and they're doing everything they can to make sure it doesn't. So this is, and I don't mean to exaggerate this, this is truly, in the true sense of the word, an existential matter when it comes to the United States of America. Either we're a nation of laws and of citizens, and citizenship means something. Uh, Let's face it. What we are seeing right now, nations habitually fought wars about. In other words, our culture is being changed, our government is being changed, so much of our country is being changed. This would be the result, usually, of a war or an invasion. We fight wars to prevent that from happening. Sorry about that. That was a glitch. Um, Pete, that's, uh, that's, that's so very important. And, and what, what I also want to hit here is, is the specifics of the detention facilities. Now, and, and it ties the, to the two stories we have largely discussed this morning. Uh, one about race and allegations of racism and one about the detention facilities and the, and the overcrowding. They continue to wave them in. And you, I think, yeah, you, the debates were before you left. They're waving them in by saying we're going to give Medicare for all to, in, right. uh, to everyone, including legal immigrants, which just leads to more and more crushing uh, numbers at the border. And when Nancy Pelosi criticized AOC and the other squid members for um, uh, not voting for funding to expand the resources at the borders to take care of these people who are in these deplorable, terrible conditions that they are complaining about, they screamed racism there and said, "Why are you singling out we freshmen women of color uh, for criticism? Why don't you? Why aren't you criticizing anybody else?" Um, those conditions at the border are terrible. I, I will acknowledge they are also not. And this is the second part of the story that must be addressed. They are also. Um, uh, uh, conditions that cannot be remedied when you have the crushing number of people who are coming. And in fact, when we try to remedy those, they have repurposed up to 60%. I just talked to somebody who was down there on the border today. Up to 60% of the Border Patrol agents are on cleanup duty and right. facility management duty. They're changing diapers. They're healing the sick. They're, they're, they're trying to manage the facilities. Um, and only 20 to 30% are left actually patrolling the border, and we now have literally, Pete, record numbers of drugs being brought across that border. All of them, because so much of our resources, so many of our resources are tied up there. So in the meantime, our Border Patrol agents, whose children are being bullied at school because of what their parents are doing for a living, they're being called concentration camp guards, they're being called racist by the squid members, uh, and, and meanwhile, the drugs continue to flow across that border. When you add all of that up, Peter, um, I don't know how anybody cannot call this a national security crisis and a humanitarian crisis all wrapped up into one, and they are doing zero to address that. Yeah, and you're right, Bob. That was a good summary. And as your listeners, I know they know this intuitively. This is intentional on the part of the Democrats, maybe not the AOCs of the world who can't think their way out of a paper bag, but the strategic thinkers want there to be complete anarchy at the border, that it can't be sustained because, and they're not going to provide funds, for example, that could address some of the issues that you're talking about for greater facilities and more border patrol agents and and more immigration judges, etc., because they want the crisis to continue and get worse. They want the system to be overwhelmed because the natural... not natural, but part of the reaction to that, uh, a breakdown of that nature, would be to consolidate more power in terms of the, the government. And also, you, know, you have de facto open borders, which, which helps uh, the left. 
and helps their electoral prospects also. So this is intentional. All the chaos you see, all of the, the expenditure of money, the crime, the drugs, the, the rapes, the, all of it is intentional. The strategists do not care about that. Their ultimate aim is to consolidate power on the left. And that is, I can't even think of a pejorative to describe how despicable that is. Pete, I've got just two minutes left for you, and I know you've got a jet. Uh, you actually have work to do since you've been off for a while. Um, but give me your thoughts on tomorrow. Uh, Mueller is going to testify yeah. before the uh, House Oversight Committee, or our Judiciary, I should say, Judiciary Committee. And um, what do you expect to see? Uh, is, is, are we going to get anything of use out of him, or is this just the Democrats' uh, dog and pony show? No, it's the Democrats' dog and pony show. I mean, we've seen this movie a million times before where the Democrats and the media get all excited and we think something's going to happen, but we, we know what the report says. We know precisely what it says. The Democrats are trying to flog this. as uh, It's a dead horse that they have to keep alive because they've got nothing else to present to normal Americans. But I think this does present an opportunity for Republicans a political opportunity in addition to an attorney to get at the truth, but they should be asking questions that you know, they've refused to answer, meaning Mueller and others, for such a long time. The one question that I want to know is, when did he know that there was no collusion? Because all the evidence seems to point to virtually within weeks after assuming the position, they knew there was no collusion, yet they continued to conduct this investigation for more than a year after that, well beyond the midterm elections. And there's a real question as to why they would do that. Also, why did they keep the removal of Peter Strzok secret for such a long time? They never told anybody. And why did they use, for example, the term exonerate, which is, let's face it, there is no prosecutorial standard found anywhere in American jur- jurisprudence where there's an exoneration. They've turned it completely on their head because all of this, the answer to all that is this was rank political opportunism on the part of the left and those who can't stand Donald Trump, which includes a lot of never-Trumpers. Uh, so bottom line, Bob, I don't expect there to be any great revelations at all. I think that, sure, the, the left and the media are going to flog this to death. We'll, we'll hear about it for the next couple of days. But like over a dozen stories, major stories, since Trump has come into office, there'll be a great sound and fury signifying nothing. And then we'll move on to the next outrage of the day. Everything you just said, I agree with, um, and I, I want to know when he knew that there was no collusion and why he let this thing drag on for two years as well. I also think he's going to be in for a big surprise when he hears the cross-examination from the likes of Jim Jordan. He is yep. going to be very, very much in trouble, so I'm looking forward to that. But, Pete, the most important thing what that, that has to come out of this that he has to answer for is why did he word what he did on obstruction of justice the way he did, uh, as you pointed out, with exoneration. It is not a prosecutor's job. He was hired as a special prosecutor to find a way to exonerate. It is his job to find a reason to indict. And if he cannot find a reason to indict, it must be stated. We have not enough evidence to indict on anything, collusion or obstruction, to throw in that add-on line of, well, we also couldn't find anything that exonerated him, is the most, I, I don't know, it's, 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 it's the most worst example of malpractice of law, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, you are, but that I can hear, uh, that I can recall hearing of. That is impossible that he did that. 
He's going to have to explain himself to Jim Jordan and Meadows and a few others. Um, but uh, it'll be good to look forward to. But I'm also looking forward to the IG's report, the um, uh, independent. I mean, there, there are so many reports coming out. It's going to be quite interesting. But I think Americans have made their decision with respect to this entire matter. I really do. You're not going to be moving the needle whatsoever by this. Peter Kersenow, breaking it down for us as only Peter can. So good to have you back, my friend. Thanks for jumping in on Take us. Care, and, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Pete. Peter Kersenow on AM 1420, The Answer. It's now 1050. We'll get a time out here. We'll come back and see if we can squeeze in a phone call or two from you. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. The Bob France Authority right now. Your $1,000 cash giveaway word is boat. That's boat. Enter it now at whkradio.com. All right, final segment of the Authority this morning. It's 1054. We got six minutes of outstanding awesome left for you here. Then we're going to give you Mike Gallagher's awesome. Then you're going to get Dennis Prager. Then you're going to get Dr. G, Jay Seculo, Larry Elder. Uh, it was a pleasure sitting in for Larry last night. Uh, by the way, if you tuned in, thank you for doing that. And uh, Larry is back in the big chair uh, tonight. I want to share this. I'll go to the phones real quick. But I'm going to share this because I, uh, I teased it before. I mentioned Rudy Giuliani last night was on with Laura Ingram. And the former New York City mayor is just absolutely disgusted with the treatment of New York City police departments, which he believes is uh, a situation fostered by current Mayor Bill de Blasio, who has had an absolutely hate-hate relationship, not love-hate, hate-hate relationship with the uh, New York City police. He hates them, and they hate him. And now that there is this viral video going, video going around of police officers being attacked and assaulted and having water dumped on them, things thrown at them while they're making an arrest, uh, it is getting a reaction from everybody, including the former mayor, Rudy Giuliani. i got to ask you about this NYPD video. I know you saw this NYPD oh. video uh, in Harlem. I want to re-rack it if we can so people can watch it. Again, this happened today oh in Harlem. Oh, my God. I saw Let's it watch. earlier. Yeah, there's no video for you oh here. Oh, my but, God, um, they came over here to talk to them that they violated. Yo, they violated them. They violated them. No, they violated them. Oh, they not stop. Rudy, uh, the police just walked away. Obviously, it's an assault on police officers. It's just water, but it kind of tells you where things are right now. Distrust I saw, uh, and I disrespect. Saw, I saw the reaction of my third police commissioner, Bernie Carrick, to that. I assume my other two would react the same way. That would never happen in a million years when I was mayor of New York City. Actually, it wouldn't happen if we didn't have a progressive, retrogressive, completely lazy mayor in New York City who is absolutely destroying the quality of life in this city. He's a disgrace, and actually, even Democrats don't support him and are embarrassed of him. And to let that happen yeah. to a New York City, that poor police officer, his morale has been no. destroyed. It's, 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 it's de- the it's guy's morale and the way you reduce crime is to have police officers with high morale. That uniform should be respected. I lost almost 100 police officers in the line of duty. I lost a cousin and I had four uncles who were police officers. Yeah. And when I see that uniform disrespected, it just shouldn't happen in America. That's anti-American. And it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen if there was any leadership from government at the federal level and, yes, at the local level in New York City as well. 
And he, he mentioned Bertie Carrick, the 40th police commissioner, who tweeted, that's what happens when they know that the mayor will not support and indemnify the officers. Bill de Blasio allows them to be disrespected, demeaned, and degraded, and doesn't do a damn thing about it. That's a direct quote from Bernie Carrick, and he's 100% correct. I get angry. I'm sorry. You have to see that video. If you have not seen it, it's on my social media, tw- uh, Twitter, Facebook, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. See that video. It is hard to watch. It is so infuriating. It's hard to watch. Jerry in Brexville, thanks for your patience. Jerry, go ahead. Yes, Bob, I wanted to comment. I heard on the news, I think it was today or yesterday, that the Spanish-Mexican families are living in fear on this new uh uh, deportation thing that, that Trump has, yeah. but somebody to tell them if they're legal, they don't have a damn thing to worry about. It's That's not the legal correct. ones that anybody's attacking. And I was wondering, we've got to quit making these people from the South Americans so comfortable. Where do, what do we do with the, the legitimate migrants that come? Where do we put them up? Or how? where do we hold them? How does that work? Well, the ones who came here legally, the legitimate immigrants to this country who, who come here looking for work and looking for opportunity have nothing to hide. And they, they, they also don't need government assistance because they come here and they're legal. They can get work permits and so on. Uh, so, you know, we don't have to quote unquote put them up. I mean, just like anybody else, if they're legal to be here and if they do meet a certain income threshold, you know, they might get government assistance for this thing or that thing. But that's all part of the process. Um, the illegal aliens who are here are the ones, and you're correct. They're the ones who have to be worried about being rounded up and it's not new i would correct one thing that you said caller and that is this it is not some new trump deportation thing this is just called standard operating procedure it has been done in this country forever we have immigration and customs enforcement it's called ice it used to be called the ins immigration and nationalization services but it's their job to round up criminal aliens first and deport them that is, the, that is the goal, that is the job of the federal law enforcement officers. Criminal aliens first, then we worry about just those who are here illegally and their only crime being crossing the border. It's not new. In fact, Barack Obama and George Bush before him deported millions of illegal aliens. Millions. And nobody called them racist for it. Nobody called them heartless. Nobody called them anything. It's only because Donald Trump is president. That's all the time that we got. Thanks for being a part of the Bob France Authority. Mike Gallagher's next. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.